You have come here in pursuit of your deepest urge, in pursuit of that wish which till now has been silent, silent. I have brought you that our passions may fuse and merge. In your mind, you've already succumbed to me, dropped all defenses, completely succumbed to me. Now you are here with no second thoughts. You've decided, decided. Past the point of no return. No backward glances, my games of make me leave but at an end. Past all thought of if or when, no use resisting, abandoned thought and left. The dreamy What raging fire shall flood the soul? What rich desire unlocks its door? What sweet seduction lies before us? Past the point of Weber, the point of no return. Caption, The Shimmer. And the script cuts to exterior, the sky, day. But really we're getting to the original placement of Lena and Kane in bed from minute 19. So, in the script, Lena's transition into the shimmer is her scene with Kane, rather than her scene with Daniel. At the end of that scene, Lena and Kane start kissing, with passion, then from their lovemaking, the script cuts to the full moon, Suspended in the blue, crater patterns only faintly visible in daylight. Then, the moon shimmers. And then, like a cell under a microscope, the moon starts to divide. Cut to. Interior, tent, day. Lena, waking with a jolt, wearing a t-shirt and underwear, looking around, surrounded by bright orange. Taking a moment to understand, she is inside a tent. In Jeff Vanderbij's novel, the biologist describes their entering area X. Quote, to reach the border, we each had to enter a separate bright white room with a door at the far end and a single metal chair in the corner. The chair had holes along the sides for straps. The implications of this raised a prickle of alarm, but by then I was set in my determination to reach Area X. The facility that houses these rooms was under the control of the Southern Reach, the clandestine government agency that dealt with all matters connected to Area X. There we waited while innumerable readings were taken and various blasts of air, some cool, some hot, pressed down on us from vents and ceiling. At some point, the psychologist visited each of us, although I do not remember what was said. Then we exited through the far door into a central staging area, with double doors at the end of the long hallway. The psychologist greeted us there, but the linguist never reappeared. She had second thoughts, the psychologist told us. 
meeting our questions with a firm gaze. She decided to stay behind. This came as a small shock, but there was also relief that it had not been someone else. Of all of our skill sets, linguist seemed at the time most expendable. After a moment, the psychologist said, Now clear your minds. This meant she would begin the process of hypnotizing us so we could cross the border. She would then put herself under a kind of self-hypnosis. It had been explained that we would need to cross the border with precautions to protect against our minds tricking us. Apparently, hallucinations were common. At least, this was what they told us. I no longer can be sure it was the truth. The actual nature of the border had been withheld from us for security reasons. We knew only that it was invisible to the naked eye. So when I woke up with the others, it was in full gear, including heavy hiking boots, with the weight of 40-pound backpacks and a multitude of additional supplies hanging from our belts. All three of us lurched, and the anthropologist fell to one knee while the psychologist patiently waited for us to recover. I'm sorry, she said. That was the least startling reentry I could manage. The surveyor cursed and glared at her. She had a temper that must have been deemed an asset. The anthropologist, as was her way, got to her feet, uncomplaining. And I, as was my way, was too busy observing to take this rude awakening personally. For example, I noticed the cruelty of the almost imperceptible smile on the psychologist's lips as she watched us struggle to adjust, the anthropologist still floundering and apologizing for floundering. Later I realized I might have misread her expression. It might have been pained or self-pitying. We were on a dirt trail strewn with pebbles, dead leaves, and pine needles, damp to the touch. Velvet ants and tiny emerald beetles crawled over them. The tall pines with their scaly ridges of bark rose on both sides and the shadows of flying birds conjured lines between them. The air was so fresh it buffeted the lungs and we strained to breathe for a few seconds, mostly from surprise. Then after marking our location with a piece of red cloth tied to a tree, we began to walk forward into the unknown. If the psychologist somehow became incapacitated and could not lead us across at the end of our mission, we had been told to return to await extraction. No one ever explained what form extraction might take but the implication was that our superiors could observe the extraction point from afar, even though it was inside the border. We had been told not to look back upon arrival, but I snuck a glance anyway, while the psychologist's attention was elsewhere. I don't know quite what I saw. It was hazy, indistinct, and already far behind us. Perhaps a gate, perhaps a trick of the eye. Just a sudden impression of a fizzing block of light fast fading. End quote. In Roadside Picnic by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky, entering the zone is a little more eventful. Quote, we glide slowly to the end of the street at the bend. Kirill looks at me. Should I turn? I wave him on. Go in lowest gear. Our boot turns and drifts in lowest gear over the last few feet of human land. The sidewalk's getting closer and closer. There's the shadow of the boot inching over the brambles. Here's the zone. And instantly a chill runs down my spine. I feel it every time, but I still don't know whether it's the zone greeting me or a stalker's nerves acting up. Every time I figure I'll go back and ask others if they feel it too, and every time I forget. Alright, so we're drifting peacefully above the abandoned gardens. The motor under our feet is humming steadily and calmly. It doesn't care. Nothing can hurt it. And here my tender cracks. We don't even make it to the first marker before he starts babbling. You know the way novices babble in the zone. His teeth are chattering, his heart is galloping, he's out of it, and though embarrassed, he can't get a grip. I think this is like diarrhea for them. They can't help it. The words just keep pouring out. And the things they'll talk about. They'll rave about the scenery. Or they'll philosophize about the aliens. Or they might even go on about something totally irrelevant. Like our tender here. He started in on his new suit and now just can't shut up about it. 
how much it cost, and the fine wool it's made of, and how the tailor changed the buttons for him. Be quiet, I say. He gives me a sad look, smacks his lips, and goes on again, now about the silk he needed for the lining. Meanwhile, the gardens are ending. We're already above the clay wasteland that used to be the town dump, and I notice a breeze. There was no wind a moment ago, but suddenly there's a breeze. Dust clouds are swirling, and I think I hear something. Quiet, asshole, I tell Tender. No, he just can't shut up. Now he's going on about the horsehair. All right, no help for it, then. Stop, I tell Kirill. He stops immediately. Quick reaction, good man. I take Tender by the shoulder, turn him toward me, and smack him hard on his visor. He slams nose first into the glass. Poor guy. Closes his eyes and shuts up. And as soon as he quiets down, I hear, Crack, 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 crack. Kirill is looking at me, jaws clenched, teeth bared. I hold up my hand. Don't move, for God's sake. Please don't move. But he also hears the crackling and, like any novice, feels the need to immediately do something. Go back, he whispers. I desperately shake my head and wave my fist right in his visor. Cut that out, for God's sake. You never know which way to look with these novices, at the zone or at them. And here my mind goes blank. Over the pile of ancient trash, over the colorful rags and broken glass, drifts a tremor, a vibration, just like the hot air above a tin roof at noon. It floats over the mound and continues, cuts across our path right beside a marker, lingers over the road, waits for half a second, or am I just imagining that, and slithers into the field, over the bushes, over the rotten fences, toward the old car graveyard. Damn these eggheads, a great job they did. Ran their road down here amid the junk. If I'm a smart one myself, what on earth was I thinking while mooning over their stupid map? Go on at low speed, I tell Kiro. What was that? God knows. It came and went, thank God, and shut up, please. Right now you aren't a person. Got it? Right now you are a machine. My steering wheel, a lever. At this point I realize that I might be getting a case of verbal diarrhea myself. That's it, I say. Not another word. Damn, I need a drink. What I'd give to take out my flask, unscrew the lid slowly, deliberately put it to my mouth and tilt my head back so it could pour right in. Then swirl the liquor around and take another swig. I tell you these spec suits are a piece of shit. I've lived for years without a spec suit. Lord knows and plan to live for many more. But not having a drink at a time like this? Ah, well, enough of that. The wind seems to have died down, and there are no suspicious noises. All we hear is the engine humming steadily and sleepily. Meanwhile, the sun is shining, the heat is pressing down. There's a haze above the garage. Everything seems fine. The markers are floating by us one by one. Tender's silent. Kirill's silent. They are learning, the novices. Don't worry, guys. Even in the zone, you can breathe if you know how. Ah, and here's the 27th marker. A metal pole with a red 27 on it. Kirill looks at me. I nod at him, and our boot stops. The fun and games are over. Now the most important thing is to stay completely calm. We're in no hurry, there's no wind, and the visibility is good. Over there's the ditch where the slug kicked the bucket. You can make out something colorful in there, maybe some clothes of his. He was a lousy guy, rest his soul. Greedy, stupid, and dirty. It's the only kind that get mixed up with the vulture. Throws the vulture Burbage spots a mile away and gets his claws into. Although, to be fair, the zone doesn't give a damn who the good guys and the bad guys are. And it turns out we gotta thank you, slug. You were an idiot, and no one even remembers your real name but you did show us smarter folks where not to go. 
Okay. End quote. We hear Lena breathing before we cut from the black screen and chapter title. Not to Lena and the other women within the shimmer just yet, but a flashback. Lena, naked, are back to us in a dark room. Second six. We do not immediately see what man is beneath her, but she is clearly in the middle of having sex. We have seen this room before. It is Lena's bedroom, last seen minute 21. But the movie is cool. Three times Lena walks forward and back. In second 11, cut to Lena, shoulders up from her left, to same position. She rocks and her change in breathing suggests a climax before second 18, cut to Daniel, from his right, on his back, in the bed, looking up. They are not framed in the same shot. They are not intimately framed together as she and Kane were. It is impersonal, and deliberately so. And yet the sound suggests that they climax together. Second 22, other sounds invade the scene. Quiet. Subtle. Rain. Then second 23 cut to an image that is not immediately identifiable. Mostly yellow. Blurry. Sliver of light and some other scene in the top left quadrant of the frame. The camera rises and we should realize that we are inside a tent. Its door just barely open. Sunlight and trees outside. The sound of light rain and birds singing. We likely do not notice that the bird's song is double. It has a slight echo to it. We would not know the first time through to listen for such a thing. Second 30, cut to, interior, tent, morning. Lena wakes suddenly, but not, as the script says, with a jolt. She is not stripped down to her t-shirt and underwear as in the script, but sleeps instead in her uniform. As in the script, she looks around, taking a moment to understand she is inside a tent. Second 39, she starts to turn, and we cut to, angle toward door of tent from the opposite side. Lena lies with her head toward us, but is already moving to get up on one elbow. Her rifle is on the floor of the tent to the right of her air mattress. She rises onto her hands and looks around some more. Toward camera, then toward the front of the tent. She hesitates. We hear another bird call. To get ahead of ourselves. In the Encyclopedia of Fantasy, John Clute and John Grant suggest that a wonderland may, quote, at any point be refuted. Indeed, that is precisely how Alice escaped from the end of Alice's adventures in Wonderland, by drawing attention to the rules which fabricate the world, at which point the dream palaces collapse into a pack of cards. End quote. Raddick may be the one, minute 65, to draw attention to the rules that fabricate this world, but ultimately, only Lena will defy those rules. By Clutes and Grant's definitions, the Shimmer exists as a crosshatch, a thinning where realities can be intermixed. Annihilation, then, is not entirely science fiction, but fantasy built on a foundation of cosmic horror. The Shimmer is a polder, what Clute and Grant define as, quote, enclaves of toughened reality demarcated by boundaries from the surrounding world, end quote. The Southern Reach is its guardian, as well as its regular invader. Their crosshatches have, quote, an inherent and threatening instability, wrongness, and a sense of imminent metamorphosis. Crosshatches invite journeys. Quests lead through them. 
edifices found at their hearts, as is often the case, may have portals leading to various realities or worlds. End quote. Or in the case of the film Annihilation, but not the novel, that edifice is a destination that must be reached for this mission, quest, thing to come to its end. For Lena to escape this pocket reality, this time loop, or whatever this alien bubble landscape is, in the more meaningful, less literal sense. As for Lena's metamorphosis, though this will matter more much later in the film, she certainly does undergo her own metamorphosis even if she does defeat her duplicate in their combat slash dance. Clute and Grant suggest that, quote, metamorphosis tends not to be arbitrary. Often it reveals the real nature of the subject, end quote. Lena must face her duplicate, an oppressive representative of her depression, her grief, her infidelity, in order to emerge as a metamorphosed whole. This puts Annihilation quite securely in the camp of fantasy more than science fiction, though still in the realm of a journey into Ballardian inner space. Within the Shimmer, life is divided, mimicked, reproduced. Outside of the Shimmer, Lena, in stepping outside the bounds of her marriage, became a different Lena than the one that married Cain. She heads, perhaps constantly, toward the lighthouse to explicitly find there a different version of herself. One Lena cheated on Cain. One perhaps did not. Or maybe, what ultimately matters in Minute 101 is that there was always, and always will be, just one singular Lena. Exterior, forest clearing slash campsite, continuous. Second 47, Lena unzips the front flap of her tent, hesitates again. In slowing down this moment, the placement of her tent is interesting. The grass in front of it is trampled from use. The plants to either side crowd the tent like it does not belong there. There is some sort of box on a pole to the left, some kind of perimeter alarm, perhaps. Second 52, she turns and picks up her rifle before climbing out. Second 54, rifle in her right hand, she puts her left hand on the ground outside the tent. She gets to her feet, second 56, and moves forward toward camera. Second 59, fully upright, she stops, and time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation. 